Starting in 1955, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached through the Book of Romans on Friday nights for 13 years till 1968. That's over 300 sermons. Now, normally Phil and I like to keep our sermon series to about four to six weeks because honestly, we just have short attention spans. But for Romans, we're making an exception. No, we won't be preaching 300 sermons, but we will be parked here in Paul's letter to the church in Rome for nine weeks. Paul was a well-educated young man. He had the best of three worlds. He was Jewish by birth, but he was born in Roman colony in Asia Minor and received Roman citizenship. This was rare for Jews. He was educated in Greek philosophy and in the Jewish religion. He moved to Jerusalem, studied with famous rabbis and was sure to become a powerful leader of his people. And he was very much against the followers of Jesus. One day he was going to Damascus to round up the, Jew, the Jesus people and have them arrested and possibly executed. But on the way there, many of you would know the story. He's encountered by the risen Jesus and has a dramatic conversion. Paul went on to become a key leader in the first century movement of Christianity. The gospel becomes his world. And in this book of Romans, we learn from a man who lives and breathes the gospel. And I'm hoping this book will help us to, to more and more live and breathe the gospel too, to live lives that are set apart for the gospel, to live holy lives, lives that are becoming love because God, the one we follow, is love. So during one of Paul's missionary journeys, he spends 18 months in the city of Corinth, hanging out with a married couple named Aquila and Priscilla. They are Jewish people who are in Corinth because the Roman emperor, emperor had all the Jews sent out of Rome. So Paul, Aquila and Priscilla are making tents together, probably talking about the church in Rome. And Paul has never been to this church. He's never met this church before, but he feels like he knows the people there from the conversations he's had. Paul's big plan was to go all the way to Spain, which was, from his perspective, literally the end of the earth. He knew that if he wanted to get to Spain, though, he was going to have to go through Rome and he would need the help of the church there. So unlike many of his letters to the churches he planted, he writes this letter to introduce himself to the Roman Christians and to explain to the people in that church what he's all about and how he defines the gospel. Scholars and students of Romans believe um, chapter 1 verses 16 to 17 are Paul's way of putting the gospel in a nutshell. His message is a bit of a kind of thesis statement for his book. Romans 1 16 to 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The word gospel shows up more in these first 17 verses of Romans 1 than in any other place in the Bible. Why is it important? Why this word? Well, the word gospel is a Greek word, euangelion. That is you for the good and angelos, which we use as an angel. Now, we look at the word angel in English, of course, and right away we think of wings and halo, probably blonde hair, which is wrong because actually the word angelos means a herald. What actually is at the very heart of the word gospel is the news media. So how did news about great historic events get distributed in those days? There was no print paper, there was no radio, no television, no internet, no social media. So what was the media for news? 
it was these heralds. So just say everyone is in the town behind these barricades because they know there's a great military battle that's being fought miles away. They don't know what's going to happen. Then the general achieves a great military victory. How did we spread the news? He would send heralds. The Angelos, they would go to different towns and declare victory, victory. Then move on to the next town and declare again victory. And everyone would go back home elated. They hadn't fought in the battle, but they received the news. They received the benefits of the win. It was great news. And this is what's at the very heart of this word gospel. That's what the message is. The essence of the Christian message is news, good, victorious news. This is the difference between the gospel and practically every other philosophy or religion. The gospel is not good advice about what you must do. It's primarily good news about what's already been done for you, something that's already happened. Paul wants the Roman church, and I reckon us, to know that because Christianity is good news, not good advice. If I ask the average person, what do you think is the essence of Christianity or what does it mean to be a Christian? I reckon the average person on the street may say something like, well, I think it means to try to live like Jesus and to try to love your neighbour and to try to follow the golden rule. Now, I think that's an incredibly great idea. Let's all do that. I'm all for that. But that's not news. That's not the heart of Christianity. Something has happened outside of you, something momentous. It's happened outside you for you. Now, I can live according to the golden rule, but that doesn't mean I know the good news. Here's a guide, a test, if you like, as to whether you really know the gospel. Is, whether, is whatever you believe about God or how you ought to live, is it mainly about you or is it mainly about what God has done? Is it mainly about you and what you must do? Or is it mainly about Jesus and what he has already done? Because that's the gospel news, not advice. So then some may say, now that you've received the righteousness of Christ, that's all that matters. Now you're fine. It doesn't matter how you live. Nope. <laughs> you know what's so amazing about Paul, especially in this letter, he's able to get round to gospel theology everywhere. And here we are in these first seven verses in Romans. He's still up to, he's still up to the part where he's introducing the, the two, the re, the, the what it's about and who it's from. And he says, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Right here in the beginning of the, the memo, he's already defining what the gospel is. He's already defining what a Christian is. He says, what's a Christian? Well, to all who are loved by God and called to be saints. Look at that. A Christian is not primarily someone who is living in a certain way. But first is you're loved by God. Your relationship has been changed. Something has been done to justify you. You're loved. But if you're loved... And if you know you're loved, then you're called. That means you're attracted to be saints, which means to be holy. We never have the righteousness of God put on us without at the same time finding it's beginning to develop in us. Some might say in older terms, you're never justified except that you automatically begin to be sanctified. That's the reason why Paul could look at Peter in Galatians 2, where Peter's old racist attitudes have re-emerged. He's not eating with Gentile Christians. Can you believe this man of God won't even eat with them? 
And what does Paul say? Paul doesn't say, Peter, you broke the no racism rule, even though that is a good rule and Christians shouldn't be racist. What he says is, Peter, you say you're justified by faith, not by works. You say you're a sinner saved by grace. So how can you be superior to any other race? You say that you have the righteousness of Christ on you, but you're not living in righteousness. You're not accepting other cultures. You are not living a life becoming love. If you are loved, then you are called. You're attracted into holiness. You want it. You long for it. You're becoming love because the one you follow, God, is love. 2,000 years before Paul's, Paul's day, God made a promise to Abraham saying, I will bless you so that your family can be a blessing to the nations. And here, 2,000 years later, some of Abraham's children are known as the Jews. They believe that they are God's chosen people. They believe that the only way a person could be right with God and have any hope of eternal life and or salvation was to become Jewish. You have to abandon your culture and become just like us in order to know God. And in Romans, Paul argues blatantly against this idea. Paul sees the gospel as God's massive restart in bringing the good news of God's faithfulness demonstrated through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to all nations, to all people, not to convert them to a new culture, but to transform them with their own, within their own culture to know the love of God. While the gospel doesn't change, while the gospel um, speaks into every culture, the gospel is always mediated through a culture. We communicate a gospel via a culture, via a language even. I mean, Paul wrote these words into a first century Mediterranean word in a language that doesn't even exist today. Our goal as those loved and called by God is to use culture to tell the great story of God. The gospel isn't restricted by culture. It's not contained in culture. It's not powerless without culture. The gospel has an intrinsic power of its own that transcends culture, that transcends our limited words even. The gospel, through God's Holy Spirit, speaks into people's hearts even when we can't find the right words. The struggle is when we connect forms to the gospel. When we say this is the best form to communicate the gospel and it will be for all time because you see forms come and go, but the gospel remains. If women preach, of course the gospel remains. Whether it's communicated in word by our territorial commander or sung in song by a songster brigade, the gospel remains. Whether it's heard in person or via live stream, the gospel remains. The, transform, the transforming sorry, gospel can and will be conveyed into culture. And so what we need to ask ourselves today is if the gospel is central, if the gospel is what matters most to us, how can we communicate it best? It's a question that should be the, at the heart of everything we do. Paul spoke to this issue. He wrote to the Corinthians and he said, to the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those who are not having the law, I become like one not having the law. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things, he says, to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. 
Paul understood that the gospel is always communicated through a culture and he sought to use the language of the hearers to communicate that. So we live in a 21st century Western post-Christian technologically advanced world. Are we the Salvation Army here in Wollongong and indeed all over seeking to use the language of our hearers? Paul encourages us today. We need to become what people need. And more than anything else, we need to become love, set apart for the gospel and the gospel alone. That's holiness. Speaking the gospel in a language that is meaningful is an important part of that. Paul was set apart for the gospel. That was his focus. Everything he did had that as its filter. He wanted to tell the world because God loved the world. So he became what the world needed. He lived, he taught the gospel. He became love so that the world would know God's love. Romans encourages us to live with the gospel as central to all we do. And I believe that God wants to teach us much about what holiness looks like in 2020 from this great letter over the next couple of months. But finally this morning, back to Paul's thesis about the gospel being the power of salvation. What do you need to be saved from today? I think that ans the answer to that is a little bit different for everyone. Some of us need to be saved from a burden of some kind. Something has a grip on your mind and your heart that is not allowing you to experience the love of God. If you feel like it's difficult to believe that God loves you or you're having difficulty loving and or forgiving someone else, or if you struggle just to love yourself, then you need to be saved from that burden. And the truth is we all need salvation. What is it for you today? Do you feel lost? Are you deep in debt and financial burden? Are you gripped by an addiction? Because the good news, the gospel message is that God does love you. The way um, that Jesus leads to a new life, the way of Jesus, sorry, leads to a new life. And the Spirit gives us the power to live the life for which we were created. It's been done. Hold on to that today. And I also feel very convicted that there's another kind of salvation as well. And I think this was the, the salvation that was, Paul was trying to communicate to the, to the Romans and many, in many other letters as well. I think many times we need to be saved from believing that our way of seeing the world and understanding God is the only correct way and that everyone else must become just like us in order to be right with God. While not intentional, I acknowledge that I've fallen into this trap, this sin. I need to constantly be saved from that and reminded that God's love for me caused me to become loved, to be holy, to be open to hear and tell and live the gospel, the good news in the context of cultures different to mine so that God's kingdom is further established and so that his church grows. And all of this is for one purpose. Paul reflects later on in Romans 15 verse 6. He says, So that together we may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 7 he says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. God's family needs to be bigger still. And that's our calling to help it grow, to be what people need us to be, to hear the gospel, to really get the good news. The gospel meant everything to Paul. And my prayer is that that may be true for us too. God bless you.